Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are at CamFest 2021, and we are so happy to bring on the director of the film, The Donut King, Alice Gu, onto Bitch Talk. Hey, Alice, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really good. We have a lot of questions about this film and the story. So if you could uh, help set up the film description for our listeners, uh, that's going to be our first order of business. The Donut King is about Ted Noy, a Cambodian refugee who arrived penniless and friendless, uh, although he did have his family with him in 1975. He arrived on a military base, Camp Pendleton, and uh, escaping the Khmer Rouge and war and genocide in his native Cambodia. And had to figure it out. He worked a number of jobs and worked around the clock, saved enough money and bought his first donut shop a year later. And by 1979, he was a millionaire setting up a little empire of Cambodian donut shops all along Southern California. Yeah, Alice, I'm going to ask the real obvious question. How did this story come to you? This story came to me a bit organically. Uh, I had a new baby at the time and we'd hired a new nanny and my husband had gone and brought home some gourmet high-end donuts from a bakery (laughs) around the corner from us. And we offered them to our nanny who's Indonesian and, and she said, no, thank you. I only eat Cambodian donuts. And you know, in my mind, we were wondering what on earth is a Cambodian donut? <laughs> and being a lover of Asian food and a self-professed foodie, I had no idea and had never heard of a Cambodian donut. So I was like, what on earth is this? The next day she says, oh, I found a Cambodian donut shop. And I was like, how did she find a Cambodian donut shop? She doesn't drive and she's been here a week and I've huh. been here for seven years. And the day after <laughs> that, she says, oh, I brought you Cambodian donuts for you and your husband. And we eagerly, you know, open the bag on the kitchen counter of the Cambodian donut and we take it out and it's round and it's shiny and it has a hole in the middle (laughs) and we take a bite and it's delicious. Um, But it is absolutely a very familiar American donut that we had before. And we're like, how is this a Cambodian donut? And she says, well, it's, this is an American donut. And she says, no, it's a Cambodian donut because Cambodian people make it. So we talk a little bit and I feel like this, it's a little absurd. I had to prove her right. And she said, well, look it up, Cambodian donuts. So I looked up Cambodian donuts uh, on Google, Cambodian donuts, Los Angeles. And all of these articles came up about Ted Noy and about donuts that I had known nothing about having, despite having grown up in Los Angeles, my life, my entire life and being very familiar seeing these donut shops I realized that I knew nothing about them at all. That's insane from your nanny. Yes. Wow. And here we are today. 
Yeah. From my nanny. Yeah, I, I want to get into the storyline because, of course, we're expecting to hear about who is this donut king? What is what is this donut empire? But you have so much that you've crammed into this film mm -hmm. and, and artfully. I mean, it flows. You know, you're excited the whole time. I really don't know what's coming next. Um, so I, I want to know your original script versus what you kept adding, because there's so many different elements and, and they're all equally interesting. Like, did you just have a battle in the edit room over what to keep? Um, I did. So the, the story that initially captivated me was Ted's story itself, which was so interesting. Again, his, uh, I feel like his life is, uh, was so Shakespearean, you know, the rags to riches tale of this, of this man. But as I started to peel back a bit more, I thought that I would be doing a disservice to, I guess, really the heart of the story is that it is, it, it's not just Ted's story, but it's really everybody's story. You know, his legacy was that at one point in California, there were an estimated 5,000 independently owned donut shops and up to 90% were Cambodian owned. And it was all, it had all started from Ted. So in 1980, 81, when the second wave of refugees started coming, Ted was already established at this point and he sponsored hundreds of Cambodians with visas and he taught them how to bake donuts. And you know, it just really multiplied like wildfire because then they were established and they would get their aunts and their uncles and their cousins and everybody was now in the donut business. And more importantly than that, the reason why they were willing to do all the hard work and wake up at, uh, you know, two in the morning and start baking donuts for, for all of us to eat was that they wanted to create a better life for their children you know, and these children are, many of them, American-born, or at the very least, American-raised, and very much now as adults, they're American through and through. And certainly it poses, you know, the question for me of what it means to be American, you know, and I, I find it particularly fitting today in 2021, um, you know, kind of given the anti-Asian sentiment or the rise in violent crime against Asian Americans about what it really means to be American. Uh, so though this movie was started and at this point, three years ago, I feel like it is really, it's a very fitting moment for it to be released on PBS this month. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did want to switch gears just for a minute because I had a note here about, especially at the beginning, the graphics and the skateboarding and also the music in your film. Um, it's just so bright, kind of in your face. Um, and I loved it. I wanted, I wanted to know if you could talk more about that part of your film. Yeah. Um, well, donuts are a very pop cultural element. Everybody loves donuts, or at least 96% of Americans love donuts. <laughs> and basically and everyone. Anyone, basically with everyone. Anyone with taste buds. You love yeah. them, right? Yeah. We've seen them in The Simpsons. They're in Parks and Rec. They're in Twin Peaks, Pulp <laughs> yep. Fiction. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. The, the pink box is familiar. And I really wanted to kind of this really tell the audience like, Hey, look, this is something that you're super familiar with. You've seen this everywhere in pop culture. And they're like, Oh yeah, of course, this is so familiar. And to have them have that kind of aha moment that 
it all traces back to one Cambodian refugee. Um, but I really wanted to make it a lot of fun. You know, I, I really wanted this film to be a bit of a Trojan horse and start on this really um, poppy and fun note that sets the tone for the film that, uh, again, given that 96% of Americans love donuts, <laughs> Uh, I wanted it to, to start in a way they're like, oh, yeah, I love donuts. I want to watch this movie. As opposed to if the movie straight up was, oh, what are we doing on Friday night? Should we watch a movie about genocide and, um, <laughs> right. yes. and, and war? Yeah, maybe not. Right. Mm -hmm. So people, the, the hook of it, the hip hop, the graphics, the pink, the skateboarding, it, that's what hooks people in. And then by the time we get to the more serious matters of the film, they're already hooked and they're not leaving. Um, so that was really the intention behind it. And the skater, Daywon Song, is really like one of the greatest of all time, if not. Okay, I'll just say he's the greatest of all time. <laughs> and he is a donut lover and he is a Korean American born and raised in Southern California. And since this donut culture started in Southern California, I thought what could represent Southern California better than skateboarding, palm trees, you know, this whole landscape. So I got him to agree um, to skate the title sequence for me and skate his way through Southern California, searching for his favorite donut. I love that. I love that. And I love that you, you call it a Trojan horse because I think the historical context is just as important. You know, um, when, when we realize the contributions of immigrants to this country, um, I feel like a lot of times, and this is our near, uh, our near history, it wasn't that long mm -hmm. ago, right? Um, when when uh, in Phnom Penh, the, the Khmer Rouge, and, and you know, I, I had a chance to visit Cambodia and see the killing fields and, and you know, that, that high school that was converted is now a, a genocide museum. And um, I think it's really important to understand that you know, we think as Americans, oh, we take in these refugees, we're the big heroes. But, you know, a, a lot of these regimes come into power with the support of U.S. action or because of U.S. inaction, you know. So I think that's an absolutely important, an important thing for context. It was it was tricky. I mean, I, I'm an archival footage nerd. You know, I could have <laughs> easily <laughs> we, we had to make some hard decisions. Right. Like our one of our first cuts went really, really deep into the context in the war. And we had to pause and be like, okay, who's our audience? This isn't for the History Channel. You know, although mm. we could very easily have, have gone deep into that. We, we decided that we needed just enough context to provide why the instability in the region happened. And that was very much because of US policy. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I hope that part wasn't um, lost on anybody watching the film and and again, I'm not really pointing fingers. I know politics, it's something that's very, that's why it's called politics, right? It's, <laughs> it's complicated, but at least shed some light or take a moment to reflect on you know, the U.S.'s role and, and what our role is in everything and how we think about refugees and, and policy and the, the ripple effect, the repercussions of our policy. Yeah, um, I also wanted to kind of dive into the family story and the cousins and, and just, just getting to talk with them and getting the full story. I'm going to call him uncle Ted. Um, <laughs> has, has the family um, found any forgiveness uh, with uncle Ted? I know you, you did visit some of the cousins and family members and or folks that, um, you know, he helped along the way, but 
but has the family itself found any forgiveness? Um, some of them have, and there are some that the, the beef runs kind of deep. Mm-hmm. Um, within his own immediate family, though, I feel like the making of this film was very healing. Uh, it certainly seems to me that the relationship with his older children, Chet and Savvy, has been a bit repaired. You know, I think they had a lot of resentments towards their dad, given, um, you know, without giving away the film, given what he put the family through and um, got, you know, the, what, you know, tarnishing his reputation, say. Mm -hmm. And also they were resentful of being kids and working at the donut shop and not really Mm -hmm. having the life that kids really want to have. But I think in making of this film, you know, I had, I forced them (laughs) to, (laughs) they're like, we don't have any pictures. I'm like, I know you do. Go to the basement, go to the closet, go to the garage, pull it out, dust it off. Look at all of your old pictures, send me everything. And I think in doing that exercise, it's, you know, you're you're processing feelings that you hadn't thought about in maybe decades and maybe coming to the realization, I'm putting words in their mouth here, but like, maybe he was a shitty dad, but, but, but recognizing all of the good that he did overall for the Cambodian community. I mean, for like a huge swath of people. So it's, uh, you know, I think they, they really appreciate seeing their family legacy on, on screen. Mm. That's great. Yeah. It was a, a form of therapy for them then. That, that's great. I love that. Um, yeah. I think, you know, we, we have to wrap, but it, it's, he, he was a flawed man, but he lived like this is a man that that lived to the fullest. And it's so easy to cast judgment. But um, something that I really appreciated was it, it seems as though he's reflecting on his life now from from a place of peace um, and, and uh, sort of redemption. Is that kind of the, the feel that you got from him as well? I think so. You know, he's over 80 years old at this point. He again, he has really lived. I mean, the ups and downs, the as he said, his life is a roller coaster. He has really been through it all. He's been rich and poor and rich and poor. Three times he's gone through that cycle, um, found the love of his life and lost the love of his life and has amazing and wonderful children who are successful. And, and I, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not 82, 83 years old yet, but I would imagine <laughs> that when you're at that time in your life that you you just sit back and reflect on, on everything, the good and the bad. And you realize that the bad is all part of the journey as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to wrap on Wu-Tang. I saw on, <laughs> I saw on, Insta- I saw on Instagram that uh, I think last October they gave you, they gave you the okay to use some other song. Can you talk about that really fast as we wrap? Yes. Oh my God. That was a four <laughs> month process. Ooh. And my editor, um, Ramel Rendoza, he, he put in the temp track. I can't even take the credit. You know, I, I said, well, you know, given again, the pop sensibility to it and we want to make this really fun. Let's, let's go hip hop heavy. Uh, and particularly there are a lot of tracks about donuts in hip hop. <laughs> um, and you know, I have another little Easter egg hidden in there for the, if you know, you know, it's the, the intro, it's Jay Dilla mm. from his Donuts album. But it was Ramel Mendoza who opened 
the film with Cream. And the second I heard it, I just knew that it couldn't be any other track. Like my mind and heart were set. And knowing that we're a documentary, that the entire budget of the documentary would probably what it would cost to license that song. Mm -hmm. I just knew I had to find a way. And it took four months. I, it was reaching out to method man who said, no, you've got to, it's really RZA. You got to talk to And by some miracle, I, I'd reached RZA and RZA's people and my music supervisor, Liza, she's like, Hey, it's looking really good. Four months later, right before our South by Southwest premiere, which ended up being canceled, but right before the premiere, um, she said, Hey, I'm getting really nervous. Do we want to think about alts? And I said, no, because that means I have to accept that we're not going to get the track. And Anyway, I found out Reza does not control the rights. It's his brother, Divine. I wrote two passion letters to, to Divine. I talked to a woman on a secret phone number who <laughs> laid it out for me and said that Divine was drawing a hard line because they're negotiating that catalog for a number of different things and they can give the song to me for cheap or free. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, but you never know. He might come in tomorrow and be in a good mood. And I wrote a couple of letters, not knowing if the letters would make it to him. And the track was clear the next day. Oh. And, and I'll tell you why the track was cleared. Um, in my passion letter, I wrote, we, Jose, my producer and I, we decided early on that we wanted to partner with Refugees International for this film. And a portion of Profits, um, of proceeds from the film would go to Refugees International. We just thought it was fitting and we, we felt really good doing that. And Wu-Tang had written back and said, um, we love what this film is about. It totally resonates with us. And the fact that you partnered with Refugees International was really what did it for us. So we're happy to clear the track for you. It was meant to be. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> yeah. It was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to wrap it here on Wu-Tang. And the film is The Donut King. We've been speaking with director Alice Gu. And it premieres on PBS on May 24th. Thank you so much, Alice. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 